have your Bible with you this morning, I ask you to open up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. It came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had sat them in the midst, they asked, By what power, what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we have seen the crowd at the temple They were amazed at the miracle of the man who was born lame and was now walking, made completely well, and that done instantaneously. And as they had come running to see and to marvel at what had taken place, the once tremendously timid Peter showed the same courage as he had at Pentecost. And part of the reason why he and John were there in the first place, for an opportunity to speak of and share Christ. And it appears that there were thousands there, multiple thousands. And they were here, and he would speak to them and proclaim the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, by the name of Jesus, by faith in this, in the name of Christ, this man, this man had come to walk. This faith, a gift of God. And through it all, all that had come to pass, that had been predicted by the prophets indeed, was God's foreordained plan. That even when they had chosen a murderer instead of Jesus, 
God proved that Christ was the chosen one, the, con- the anointed one, by raising him from the dead. Now, in his time of preaching there in chapter 3, Peter spoke of the resurrection twice. It's how he finished the part of that sermon that we have here. It is very clear that it is something that he and John both preached and preached consistently and constantly. Now, in the crowd, there were those who believed, but there were those too who were silently seething at the hearing of words like resurrection from the dead. For in the crowd was the temple guard as well. The temple guard was made up of 24 bands of men, all from the tribe of Levi. And these men were in charge of guarding the temple. And each band had a captain. And the bands guarded one at a time. And of course, a group of people, a large group of people, a group of thousands of people running in one direction would certainly draw their attention. And they knew as soon as they heard Peter's words that trouble was afoot. Peter was preaching about the resurrection of the dead. In moments, a considerable group of temple authorities came. And as we see in verse 3, they laid hands on Peter and John. They didn't just put their hand on their shoulders and come with us, boys. But they, they grabbed them violently, arresting them and taking them into custody. Now, the Jewish leadership at that time, referred to as the Sanhedrin, had basically two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But during this time, the Pharisees had suffered many of their number going over to the side of the Sadducees so that they were no longer the party in authority. And so the Sadducees are in power and upon hearing these men speak about the resurrection of the dead, something that they categorically denied because the Sadducees believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the books of Moses. But they didn't have much use for more than that. And so there was no word about the resurrection of the dead and nothing that they would believe to cause them to think it was possible. So hearing Peter and John speak about The resurrection of the dead caused their blood to begin to boil. And they burst upon Peter and John suddenly and took them into custody. It appears that Peter had really been speaking for some time. We have only a small snapshot of what was said because now it's evening. And so while they were locked away in the temple room before and during... While they were being taken away, brought into custody, we notice in verse 4, however, many of those who heard 
the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000, which means more than 5,000 believed. So verse 4 says, begins that one word, however. It begins with that one word. In spite of what was going on, there were still those many who came to believe. You see, Peter and John might be in prison, but the word is not changed in the least. You see, there was more power in those words than in the men that arrested them. So 5,000 believed. Now, of these people, all of them saw the apostles bound and led away. Yet rather than be fearful, they showed boldness. As one said, truth may be oppressed, but it can never be suppressed. And we ought to keep that in mind in our day and time because we keep looking around and it seems like we more and more get to be like Pilate and say, what is truth in our culture? What is truth in what we are hearing from day to day? But we know that what is real truth, while it may be oppressed, cannot be suppressed. We'd note as well, as 5,000 came, they, they came because they heard the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit using that word to bring them to faith in Christ. So again, we have a valuable increase of the church by the preaching of the word. Well, the next day came, and in verse 5, we find came to pass on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes, as well as the high priests, they all came together. This would be a, a group that would be uh, 71 in number. It would be 24 rulers. Those were the chief priests. 24 elders and 23 scribes. So the rulers of the chief priests, the Sadducees, the 24 elders were not connected with either. And the scribes were probably the Pharisees. Now the, the scene is this. They come in, into this room and they sit in a semicircle. And Peter and John must stand in the middle of this semicircle. So there's this big display of these men coming in in their clerical robes and they're taking their place. Now Peter and John are placed right in the midst of them. So there are as many to the right as there are to the left. And in that group, in that group of 71 that were sitting there, we can't help but think, because not that much time has passed, that there were those in that group that had heard Jesus that night that he was betrayed and had said, send him to Pilate to be crucified. So in verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you 
done this. You see, one of the problems that they had is they knew something had happened because apparently they brought the man with them who had been formerly crippled. And perhaps they thought, well, with this big display of power that we've got these two men in, perhaps if we asked them where they, how they made this man whole, they would recant and say it wasn't Jesus. But something had happened and that could be, not be denied. So they said, and it's emphatic in the Greek, how did you do that? How did you do that? Now, Obviously, they had been there. They had heard what Peter and John were saying. And they're saying that through faith in Christ, these things came to pass. Through the power of the name of Christ, this man was walking. But yet they're saying to him, how'd you do that? How did you do that? What power? What name? By what name have you done this? And Peter now, full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Peter's full of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, the first thing I will tell you is this. It means he was exercising self-control. And he was riding high above fear. But even as he is filled, he is also showing self-control because self-control is a gift of the Spirit. And notice, he respectfully responds to them. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He gave them the honor that was due their title. It's an important teaching for us today. In Romans 13 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul reminds us that there's something that's incumbent upon all of us. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. That's something that seems to be quickly vanishing from our culture today. And also in the church. Now what's happening here? Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. Alright? What's being, what's being brought to fruition? Well, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus made a statement to his disciples. It was an important one of, as all of them were, he never said anything superfluous to them. But it's a it's a teaching that has been so misused. I've even heard it of, uh, of some lazy preachers who would say, I never study. I just get up there and God gives me the words. But Luke chapter 12, verse 11. Jesus said, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities... Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. 
Now, that's a promise specifically given to a specific situation. And unless you're before a very hostile congregation and you were brought there by force, then you better study and prepare for what you're going to say because that promise from Jesus doesn't apply. But it does here. When they are brought before the magistrates and they have to give an account, it's not like Peter and John had a whole library there to study that prior night. But as we are told, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the promise that Jesus had given coming to fruition. And so in verse 9, he addresses the apparent irony of the situation. He says, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, I mean, if we're being treated by as malefactors when we were really benefactors, we, we did a good thing. We helped a helpless man. But we're being treated as, as criminals. And so Peter now works it up. He builds it up. And in verse 10, he now projects the authority over the situation. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. See, even though this was a private meeting, there would be leaks. It would get out. Nothing's changed. To all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. See what he did here? They, they asked Peter and John, said, by what power did you do this? So he says, I'll use the same emphasis on them. Whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. What a contrast in treatment. You crucified him. God raised him. By him, this man stands here before you whole. And once again, Peter goes to the Old Testament to prove Christ's identity. And he quotes to them Psalm 118 in verses 22 to 23, which Jesus also would use of himself. But also in there is Isaiah 28 and verse 16, which is a, a nice little addition because while there was affection for the Psalms, but not so much by the Sadducees, there was great affection for Isaiah, even though the Sadducees did not quite use him in their teaching. But in Isaiah 28, verse 16, we read, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, whoever believes 
will not act hastily. This idea would stay with Peter. And when Peter would write his epistle, his first letter, in 1 Peter in chapter 2, Beginning of verse 4, he says, Coming to him, coming to Christ, is a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. A chief stone, the cornerstone, that which holds all together. If you've ever seen a brick arch, there's one stone, one brick in the middle. That's the key stone, the key brick, because that is keeping everything else from falling. And this is Christ, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and and precious. Paul would also refer to Jesus as the rock. The qualities or stone is strength and duration and usefulness. Over in England, they have Hadrian's Wall, which was built by the Romans. And they built forts at different places along Hadrian's Wall. They built stone foundations for in the buildings in the fort. Everything that they used, much to my sadness, that was wooden, is no longer there. But the stones are. And there are many, even church buildings, as you go along throughout England, that were close to Hadrian's Wall or close to the forts, that actually took stones from the Romans' forts and used them to help build their church buildings. So... Stones that were placed and in, in put in position from 100 to 300 A.D. are now still holding up buildings that people are using. They've got them in houses and other places like that. And by the way, next time you hear somebody say it took Millions upon billions of years to make a stone, I can personally attest that it can take days. I can painfully attest it takes days. This stone would be precious. 
when Peter pulled in the quote from Psalm 118, they all knew that this quote, this portion of the Psalms had been historically seen as a reference to the Messiah. And when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, the stone was set in place ahead of the church, joining Jesus with Jews and Gentiles together into one faith. The Messiah, the anointed one, the prophet of whom Moses foretold. And then he drives it home. As we must also today. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So now the one that they hoped would recant is now speaking even more gloriously about the Christ. We need to hear this over and over and over again. Our nation, overcome with pluralism, places that at one time taught salvation in Christ, now literally have gone over to nature worship, animism, environmentalism, worship of self. I remember seeing on Nightline how the interviewer was so excited to be interviewing the Dalai Lama and what words of wisdom might come from this man. Even Billy Graham toward the end of his life in an interview with with Ted Koppel said that as far as he could see, the narrow gate was widening. How unfortunate We hear from people, oh, there are many pathways. And others who get angry and say, how dare you tell me there's only one way to be saved? How dare you? What kind of arrogant person are you? How are you to say to me that your religion is superior to mine? It has to be superior to the others because it has the only Savior. It has the only truth. It has the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. Yes, it's superior in its source, in its salvation, in its truth, and in the duration of that salvation. You see, if it's a man-made religion, it dies with that man. Now as we close this section, let us put some threads together that came out of this. And for those of you who are in adult vacation Bible school, the Trinity is seen here. The providence of God puts both Peter and John in the place as well as the crippled man at that particular time.
We see they were filled with the Spirit as they proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ. Before things first, when men care more for their position, more than they do the good of others, then that leadership is destined for doom. It's destined for the ditch and everyone that follows will go in the ditch with them. Instead of rejoicing that a man who was born crippled was now walking, they wanted to destroy the men who were bringing the news to this man that healed him. Second, they were upset that they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. But my friends, you can't preach Jesus apart from that. If you take away the resurrection from Jesus Christ, you have Dalai Lama. Just another talking head religious leader. But the Christ who said that they will do this to me and in three days I will rise again. And he did it. Puts him in a category above all others. The name above all names. Without the resurrection, Jesus Christ is nobody. If there is no resurrection, Jesus should not be mentioned. But to remove it is to remove him. Thirdly, we see that once again, what was concealed in the Old Testament being revealed in the New in Psalm 118, what was, what's this about the stone that the builders rejected? What about this chief cornerstone? Peter says, I'll tell you, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. What was concealed is now revealed once again. It's about Jesus and his place in the church as the chief cornerstone. Forgotten so very often, but without him, the building collapses, the spiritual building. And then fourthly, the blessing that comes from there being only one Savior for the world. Only one way. Only one truth. Only one way to the Father. Only one life. In Christ, we cut through the clamoring, competing confusion that exists out there with people saying, what about this? What about this? Don't worry about it. Forget it. There's only one. Yeah, but these people don't pay attention. Look unto him and be saved. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't be like the Jews of old who said, our God's pretty good, but the Canaanites got it going too. Let's, let's put it all together and see what we come up with. And what happened? There was destruction because they forsook the one way, the truth, the life. Some people, when they come to a fast food restaurant and they look up at the menu, and there are 35 things on the menu They stand there bug-eyed and immovable. 
And the person behind the counter says, can I help you? Oh, if you need a few minutes, go ahead. It's confusing when we have a whole bunch of choices. But in the most important aspect of our lives, the confusion's been removed. There is one Savior, one Lord, one Christ, one eternal salvation. Look nowhere else. It can only be found in Him. Let's stand together for prayer.